0: What's going on, folks? Welcome to Got Your Back, NHL edition LeBron and Rashad. And Dregs today, yes, NHL insider, TSN Hockey insider Darren Dregger joining us today on the pod to preview a couple of massive matchups. Oilers, Vegas, Leafs, trying to hang on against the Panthers. And we're going to break it all down. Of course, Got Your Back, NHL, brought to you by Cross Country Canada, Supplies and Rentals. Did you know... The Cross Country Canada is the first and only company in all of Canada to offer mobile warehouses. So basically anywhere there is a big job to be done, they have the equipment and supplies you need to drop in right on site and get it done. That's because their get done formula is what they live by, making sure they never let the customer down. Cross Country Canada takes great pride in that attitude, and we take great pride... In cross-country Canada, being our title sponsors here on Got Your Back, LeBron and Rashad. We're going to do an early red card, yellow card, no card here, Dregs, because, you know, Pierre is committed to this podcast. And generally, week to week, he puts in a lot of effort and a lot of work, but was intimidated by the technological lift of trying to be on the road and do a video podcast at the same time so as a result all we have are pictures and
1: sound I'm going full red card 100% red card and and the only reason that I'm not supporting (laughs) my fellow insider in this case is because Ray Ferraro has no concept of technology and yet he manages to dial up the Riverside, get the, the pictures working, the video is mm-hmm. high quality, and it doesn't matter where he is. And mm-hmm. he obviously travels as much as Pierre Lebrun does. So I, I feel that this is an automatic red card without question.
0: Pierre,
2: well, what,
1: what do you give yourself, bud?
2: I'm I'm <laughs> trying to save humanity because I'm sitting in my thong here on the balcony of my hotel oh. in South Florida, and I figured the world would need to see that. so.
0: Oh, goodness sakes. So
2: I think you'll take your red card back. (laughs)
0: Oh, pee. <laughs> pee. I don't even know, man. So a sumo wrestling Getting tournament
1: everyone. going on later today?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's a red card for you, Dregs. Holy cow, comes over the top. Unreal. Uh, by the way, Dregs, yeah. what the heck happened on your podcast with Ray yesterday? I saw awesome. a promo on Twitter for the Ray yeah. and Dregs hockey podcast. Did, did Ray get into a scrap with his neighbor at the hotel? Like, what the hell?
1: Well, borderline. Um, and look, this is a kinder, gentler version of Ray Ferraro, right? Because uh, a few years back, he probably would have been snapping and banging on the wall and all of this. So just to, to quickly uh, give you the the synopsis of what went down, we're halfway through the podcast. His in-room phone rings. Like, whose phone rings in their hotel room unless you're getting a wake-up call, right? So it yeah. rings. So he just leans over. He goes, hello? Yeah, no. I, yeah, I, I know. I, I'm taping a podcast. Sorry. It's, I, I can't do anything about it. So the neighbor called the front desk to complain that Ray was talking too loudly too loud. in the room beside him. So <laughs> what obviously, time were we, you taping? What's that? What time were you taping? Uh, I think we started at 10 a.m. Eastern. You know, yeah, he's in New Jersey, so it's Eastern time zone. So, anyway, we get to near the end of the podcast, and now Buddy the neighbor is like, All right, tit for tat. And he's got either his his phone or some sort of musical device, and he's just blaring the music (laughs) right up to the wall. So, uh, you know, Ray started chuckling about that, um, and he was going to go over and apologize, you know, because he was disrupting this person. And then the music playing, you know, provoked Ray to a point where I'm not apologizing to anyone. And that was basically how it ended. So I'm
0: surprised like Pierre, the old Ray Ferraro from like seven or eight
1: years ago might have handled that different P.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I'm surprised that that went that smoothly, quite frankly. And that's good (laughs) good to know as we get wiser and older. That happened to me once in a hotel room. I was doing a radio hit to TSN, and uh, mm-hmm. and my neighbor would complain because I, I would put my phone on speakerphone to be a radio hit, oh. and uh, he was not happy with what was going on. He was knocking on the wall as well.
0: Yeah, well, long gone are the days where we generated any noise complaints. We're uh, pretty easygoing guys on the road. At worst, a little bit uh, podcasting, a little bit too loud. Uh, Two massive games tonight, gentlemen. So let's get right to breaking them down. We'll start in the East. Yeah, Uh, We'll call it our Eastern Conference Breakdown. That's going to be brought to you by Liberty Smart Security, a company that specializes in having your back. High-quality, advanced smart security systems for your home or your business. They use leading-edge technology to protect the things that you value most in life. Your home is your castle. Protect it. With Liberty Smart Security, you can visit libertysecurity.ca. Okay, it's only been done, what, four times in NHL history. Toronto Maple Leafs trying to climb a mountain. Is there any reason to believe, Dregs, that this team has what it's going to take to,
1: I mean, even make this interesting, let alone actually do it? So I think there is. I I think that Florida wins the series because I have a... You know, the utmost respect for Paul Maurice and the talent assembled by Billy Zito and what they've got going in Florida, it's real. I mean, you don't dispatch the Boston Bruins and then, you know, get rolled by the Toronto Maple Leafs in round two. So let's pay respect to Florida and what they've accomplished. I don't think they're going to lose this series. They're not going to lose four games in a row. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there's enough talent in Toronto pride is on the line here that they're going to win game four and they're going to stave off elimination. If you win game four and that kind of flips the switch a bit for you and you win game five, well, now all of a sudden you've got a series. So that's my optimism. Um, And and part of that is promoted by, man, and I know we're going to talk about this, but if they go out four straight, they lose in a sweep. We're going to be chewing on some stuff here around the Toronto Maple Leafs that Uh, I mean, it'll be stomach-turning in this market, and I know, uh, um, Ryan, you and and the Western Canadian market will grow weary of all the noise coming out of Toronto. Already are, bud. We already are. I get it, I get it. (laughs) But I I do think that there's enough left in the tank. They win a game or two here.
2: Well, I will say that if you believe in body (laughs) length, I I have not liked what I've seen the last couple days in the double-off days from the Leafs. As far mm. as confidence, uh, just being in the room and hearing what we heard. You know, I was yeah. just waiting for at least one player to come out and, 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 you know, show a little defiance. And it's really just been, well, you know, one game, you know, we know what we got to do, but it's been pretty timid. And again, maybe that means nothing. Maybe that's just this theme and, you know, they don't have a Chris Bonger on their team. I don't know. But it's, <laughs> it's not giving you the impression that they're breaking down a wall tonight uh, with their season on the line, I have to be honest with you. Again, if you believe in body language. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, uh, I was talking with the league player yesterday that said, you know, Jake Muzzin brought up with the group. You know, casually in a very natural way, uh, about a day or two ago, brought up with the group that he was on that 2014 Kings team that came back down from three nothing, and he talked to the Leafs players about you know what that was about. Um, But it's it's there's a reason why it's so it's so rare that it happens, and also that 2014 Kings team is not exactly your run of the mill team. I mean, I I I used this quote from Daryl Sutter this week when I asked him about that, and he said, "quote." We have the 2012 cup in our pockets. We really believe that the pressure was on them. And we, we knew how to win and close out a series better because of our experience. Now, again, he's just referring to the 2014 teams coming back on San Jose. But I think the larger point there is that the Leafs don't have a cup in their pocket from two years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I think we can stop with the 2014 yeah. comparisons here uh, as far as what the Leafs can dig into. I, Listen, I, nothing would surprise me with the Leafs because they're so unpredictable. And whether they reel off a couple here to make things interesting would not surprise me at all. I'm just telling you that being here in South Florida and just being around them the last couple of days, it didn't inspire a lot of confidence so, that that they're giving you that
0: look. So, I have a theory on this three nothing uh, deficit in a series. I'm not surprised to hear you say that, Pierre, because. I know in the playoffs you're supposed to bounce back from losses quickly, Dregs. But going down 3-0 in a series is basically the equivalent of your your season being over. Everybody knows it. The players know it. Now, by the time the puck drops tonight, they'll have their heads on straight. And they'll go out there and try and save their season. Yeah. But as angry and disappointed as players are when their season is in fact over... I think players experience that for at least a couple of days after going down 3 nothing because it's basically the same thing. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that they maybe have been moping around a little bit for a day or two and didn't present the most confident because everyone looks at them and goes, come on, it's 3 nothing." Now, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're not going to bring the right stuff when the puck drops tonight.
1: No, that's fair, and that's what you hope for, right? And that's what you expect if you're the coach or the manager or ownership of the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, but it's hard right? Former players Mm -hmm. tell us that all the time. Winning one game in the playoffs is difficult. To claw back from a three-game deficit on the cusp of being eliminated from the postseason, you know, do you have the intestinal fortitude to play that out? And it has to start with one win, as cliche as it sounds. Otherwise, hey, look, I, I did Montreal Radio this morning with Connor McKenna on TSN. He made an interesting comparison. And and Pierre, maybe you had thought of this. I, I just I, I wasn't connecting the dots, but you look back to what Florida did last year, right? Presence trophy winning team. They get punted in the second round. And what does Billy Zito do? Well, he doesn't give the bench back to Andrew Burnett. He makes a, a pretty bold decision to go with the experience of Palmore race. People were surprised. And oh, yeah, then he makes a blockbuster trade with the Calgary Flames, where you know he he sends out two key pieces and gets back Matthew Kachuk and some, some quality experience in that deal as well. So if, again, Toronto is, is knocked out of the postseason, does senior management or ownership, or let's include Kyle Dubas, who's on an expiring deal, I'm in the camp that thinks he gets extended, do they have the wherewithal, the gumption, the, 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 the forecasting ability to do what Florida did? A year ago because that's what it feels like the core needs to be addressed more than management or coaching
2: yeah well I'll get the to front on a second drink because you touched on a lot of important things there and I think we're in for a, a seismic offseason with the league if they it, yeah. especially if they get swept I really think there's a difference believe it or not between getting swept or losing in six as far as the as far as the sticker shot there but You know, I asked Paul Maurice, actually, kind of about that yesterday. Um, You know, I I think it's been an underplayed story league-wide, what the Mm -hmm. Panthers decided to do, because Paul Maurice comes in and completely changes how they play. And as I said to him yesterday, you're doing that to the President's Trophy team. (laughs) You're coming into the team that was first in the league last year and saying we're completely changing how we played. And, um, And he acknowledged yesterday, he gave a pretty lengthy answer, about how it was, you know, it was uh, it was a tough sales job. Like it was a long adjustment for the Panthers, and that's why they were they were in November December. But he said the key was the buy-in from uh, Alexander Barkov as captain. And I spoke to Barkov a couple of days ago for a piece of wrote in Athletic, and Barkov, and I'm using his quotes. So I don't want the words in his mouth. And he said, "We had to adjust all year from going from a team that was just about offense last year." So a team now that plays a way in which there's a more repeatable pattern to which
1: yeah. think
2: about that for a second. Yeah.
1: From, from the captain
2: mm-hmm. of the team. So they have gone through this major transformation that took a long time to sort of take hold here. But now they're they're bearing the fruits of it just in time to salvage the year and go on a special run. And it, it's gotta make you think for the least because that's the great juxtaposition here in this series is that the Leafs have tried to become a better Defensive team the last couple of years, and they have the numbers bear it out. They've been a better defensive team in the regular season. It's not their their defense necessarily that's you know uh, mm. their problem right now in the playoffs. They can't score. Yeah. They cannot score five and straight games with two goals.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, let's get to.
0: Oh, sorry. Go know, ahead, Pierre.
2: Well, I was just gonna say this to finish on the leap. I mean, I, you know, you got to figure out the GM, and that's a two way streak. That's not just does MLSC want to sign Dubis? And I'm with Greg's, I'm surprised if they do. But what does Dubis want? No, he's a free agent, June thirtieth. So it all starts there. The rest, I mean, whether you, you think about trading Marner or extending Matthews or all kinds of different things that you can do, but you have to find out who's in charge and what the vision is. Yeah. Are they are they running it back? Are they retooling? Do they want to blow it up? It really depends on who's in charge.
0: And We were going to go there after, right? Aftermath on what happens if the Leafs don't win, but we're into it right now. So, I mean, how many names, Dregs? Like, a, a sweep here feels like it just takes all the shine off of that whole got through the first round thing. No question. I think it almost completely wipes it out. Like, Agreed. so what if you don't even win a game? Agreed. Right? So in the aftermath, like what names come into play? Shanahan, Dubas, Keefe. Those are the three main ones sitting yeah. there. And then there's the player end of it, Nylander. But how far do you think it potentially goes, at least for consideration?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, all of those names, um, you know, have to be considered. You're right. Um, you know, the Shanna plan hasn't worked. It hasn't worked to this point. Not to say that you know there are things that he would have done differently, or the, the moves that Kyle Dubas has made this year or in past years that didn't pan out, but uh, you know that that comes with the territory, and every team goes through a bit of a forensic audit there. I don't get the sense that ownership is is hovering above and saying, All right, well, if they get swept, then Shannon has to go, or let's pull that deal off that we were going to allow Brendan Shanahan to make the offer to Kyle Dubas, let's take that off the table. Right. I don't get that sense, but the people that I talk to say there's a big difference between bowing out in four or five right. games oh, as opposed exactly. to six or seven. There is a big difference. So we have this conversation next week. Mm, maybe the view from ownership of the Toronto Maple Leafs is different and all of the big names that you mentioned, Ryan, legitimately are in play. But it also could be you know nothing gets done other than the obvious, which is paying attention to the roster. That has to happen organically with, you know, contracts that are expiring, um, and then you've got Matthews and Nylander coming up, and all of those things. What's undeniable is if this core bows out, then it's time to address the core and and do something significant. Pierre, what do you I, think? And
2: I have to say, I, I got to say one thing, and, and again, I don't want to over dramatize what I saw here the last couple of days because let's face it, we're getting them at their yeah. You know, at the bottom end of a very dramatic moment in, the, in those season where they're down three nothing and the spotlight is heavy on them. But you know, Mitch Marner yesterday in the scrum, you know, just the way he looked and sounded, he 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 sounded like a guy that was tired of answering these yeah. questions. Yeah. And and the question is, is he tired of being a Maple Leaf? Like I don't I don't think so. But it just felt like a guy that was like, really again. And it's like, yeah. well. You know, is, is, is this run its course or not? I mean, his no-move clause uh, kicks in July 1st. I, you know, I don't think he gets dealt. I'm just putting it out there that I, it just really was in your face yesterday when you looked at him in that scrum and how he sounded and felt that I was like, man, oh, man. Yeah. You know how many do times you think, are we going
0: to do this? Do either of you guys think that going out with a thud like this resonates with austin matthews and the decision-making process that he's got to go through the way they lose this year is it that teetering and could go either way that the the way this ends affects it or you know does does pushing this to six or seven games and feeling like you were in the fight does it affect matthew's future here you
1: think if this goes Uh, out with a thud gregs i I don't think it does what impacts austin matthew's decision making and his future in toronto is how aggressive management needs to be or wants to be with this lineup. You know, Pierre just mentioned the no-move clause of Mitch Marner that kicks in July 1st. While Marner and Matthews obviously are very close on and off the ice. That's a tight-knit group. Say what you want about them, but that that's a tight-knit group. And, you know, it's clear that Marner has had enough of the noise even though like most NHL players they say they don't listen they don't watch they don't read all of that of course they do or they have people around them that that do I don't think Marner wants to be traded by the Toronto Maple Leafs but I think that he and others would be okay with it especially if they have to go through another offseason so for me that's where the the impact hits Austin Matthews if one of those core guys is is legitimately considered trade bait Mm. Mm -hmm. maybe there is a pause from the matthews camp that says okay hold on a minute here you know if you're going to do that then that's going to change our position and how long we want to sign or what that number looks like well
2: and and i tell you guys like when we chatting about matthews here and, and i truly believe that behind the scenes he has meaning all of this has been put on pause. He, he hasn't had to want to have this conversation yet right. at all for obvious reasons. So we're, we really are guessing. But yeah. you want to talk about a contrast yesterday in the Florida dressing room? Happy go lucky, everyone in that room. <laughs> of course, the media if they got if they had everything they needed. did they need oh, more geez. interviews? <laughs> and and you got Matthew Kachuk. Absolutely! Again, giving you the impression that, it, that he has never loved life more than he's loving life right now. Life friend of the of podcast, podcast. Goes, yeah, friend of the podcast, and coming to the rink in flip flops and <laughs> I, all. I can tell you is that obviously, you know, Matthew Kachuk and Austin Matthews are friends and and they know each other well and and uh, I can't help but think that at some point in the next few weeks, that Matthew isn't thinking about what life is like to Matthew Kachuk and. And at least sure. ask himself the question: What yeah. would life be like with me in a place where there isn't yeah. ten thousand people covering the Hang team? Hang on and, a second. You, know,
0: you do you do how many interviews a week, Matthew? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How many media people yeah. are standing in your locker yeah. room every game day? Uh, speaking well, and of the standing weather in, and everything else. Yeah, uh, yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, why wouldn't you?
2: You love know, Matthews that? is an yeah. avid golfer. Matthews is an avid golfer. I know it sounds like trivial to mention these things, like as if that really matters. But I'm just telling you, there's a reason why players. Go out of the way to end up in Tampa in Florida and Florida and, you know, LA and San Jose over the years. Like, let's let's be real here. Dallas, Nashville, um, Vegas, Vegas more than ever. Like, I, I don't know. I, again, it may be that Matthew signs a gigantic extension to remain elite because he's always given me the impression he's been pretty happy in Toronto. But it really hit me yesterday going from one room <laughs> with
0: the pastor <laughs> to the visitors. <laughs> no room. kidding. Uh, speaking of Austin Matthews, here he was standing in front of the media yesterday. Mark Masters asked him, how do you deal with the pressures of a situation like go this? go out there and play hockey. I mean, that's what we've uh, done, been doing our whole life. You know, can't really focus too much on the outside, noise, what you guys are saying, what everybody's saying. I mean, it doesn't really matter. All we can focus on is uh, how we approach this game and uh, the mental side of it uh, and coming in with a purpose and focusing on uh, just one game here, coming in. So let's drill down on the game tonight. And, and on the series here a little bit more. We'll, we'll take it away from the big picture. Uh, points in the final um, five goals in that uh, game four win over Tampa. Uh, both goals uh, in the 19-year curse ending in the game six victory over Tampa. The core four has no goals and four assists uh, so far in this series. <clears throat> um, it just hasn't been good enough. And I wonder, Dregs, it, you know, for those guys to go a wall in this moment, it's going to create a whole different list of questions than if they'd have gone down swinging.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And you know, you do have to give credit to Sergey Borbowski. He's been brilliant in this series through three games, and and I would submit that one of the the missing ingredients to the Florida Panthers being a contending team through much of the regular season was just that it was, you know, um, goaltending that wasn't consistent and. And, and so they, they find a way to level that. And then Bobrovsky goes into that Boston series fresh and he starts against the Maple Leafs fresh and they just, they, they haven't been able to find a hole in them, but I think then you have to flip that over to the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, I'm thinking of the third period, um, I guess it was of game two and you know, Toronto was given credit for how much pressure they put, but it wasn't structured pressure. It was hair on fire. Let's just try and do something to, to generate some offense. They have not been able to move this guy side to side, and they have not been able to expose in any way, shape or form, some of the flaws that every goaltender has. So that's for me, it's more on the lack of commitment to doing what you have to do to put the puck in the net on Toronto's side than it is the brilliant goaltending of a veteran goalie.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. And, and it, you can't, can't underestimate either how the schedule has benefited the Panthers in this series because one of the concerns I think that the Panthers have internally is that Bobrovsky at his age does tend to show some um, some fatigue after a long stretch of games and um, double off days after game two and double off days after game three, nothing was mm-hmm. beneficial for Sergei Bobrovsky. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I mean, listen, we have we have talked about this so much in our hits with, with Mark Masters and Chris Johnson and I, the Panthers forecheck continues to be uh, something that the Leafs have just found no answer yeah. for. I mean, they, the way that the Leafs cannot get out of their zone um, and play their own game is—it was evident again in Game Three. I mean, they just spent too much time um, fighting the Panthers cycle in their own zone, and, and you—you know—you're wondering why the core forwards not scoring or why they can't score as a team. They're not in the Panthers zone. <laughs> As simple as that. I mean, they just—they've yeah. been bottled up by this Panthers forecheck, and and it's it's crazy to watch when you're in the ring because it's it's playing out right in front of you. Once that puck mm. goes in and you see these Panthers players flying in, they're like, uh "Oh, buckle up!" And there goes the turnover from the Leafs defense, and no mm. surprise, but Sheldon Keith switching up two of his three pairings of practice yesterday, heading into tonight's game.
0: He's getting pretty aggressive with changes, Dregs. Uh, and I guess, hey, why not? It's the time to do it. What do you think of the core of the changes that he's making from his decision in net, uh, yeah. mixing up the D pairings? Uh, Marners and Matthews looks like they will stay together with Yarncroc over on the other yeah. side. Kerfoot, Tavares, kneelander. You know, not putting O'Reilly there. Uh, What do you think of the way he's managing this?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, it it seems a little bit desperate, but he's leaning on past chemistry, I suppose. You know, he talked about his D pairings and switching TJ Brody um, from right to left. You know, he looks like he's going to pair up with uh, Justin Hall, who's a decent penalty killer, but like a number of the Toronto Maple Leafs defense, with the exception of of Morgan Riley. And I've liked to play for the most part of Luke Chen. They've been all over the map. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not the primary reason why they're down three games in this series. So I, I get what the coach is trying to do. I mean, this is the search. This is the work for him trying to find some sort of chemistry experiment that is is going to click. Moving bunting down with O'Reilly and a cherry. That's going to be interesting to me because that's going to be the counter to what Pierre just talked about—the forecheck of the Florida Panthers. And you can see bit by bit. Since Michael Bunting has come off suspension, first couple of games, I I thought he played really well. He was more focused on, again, doing what he could do to win puck battles, using his speed, all of those things. Last few games, he's starting to get grumpy. And that's not a good thing for Michael Bunting because he doesn't channel it the right way. And he ends up taking ticky-tacky penalties. So that line for me is going to be most interesting as we look into game four.
2: And the other thing that really hits you, though, the last couple of weeks, and and I'm not, this is not a criticism of Sheldon Keith, although maybe it should be, I don't know, but I'll, I'll give you guys back the ball on ball on this. But between Tampa and Florida, it is the contrast in how John Cooper with the Lightning and Paul Maurice with the Panthers keeps their lines intact. Like, mm-hmm. like Tampa never touched their top six. And Florida hasn't touched their, their top three, their top nine, their top three lines this entire series. It's always the yeah. same line. And the Leafs in both series keep switching everything around almost game to game. And I don't know, like maybe it's just, you know, the Leafs have more depth, they have more options. You know, they're looking yeah. for offense, but it really is striking when you see the opposition and how they stick yeah. to what their guys are. And, and some of these lines, you know, for the Lightning and Panthers have been the same for a while. And then you see that the Leafs keep switching that up. I wonder how you know internally how some of those players feel about that with Yeah, Man,
1: I, I would think it's. I think I would think it's a challenge. I remember Ray Ferraro again saying on the podcast. This was when Ryan O'Reilly, late in the regular season, was was on the cusp of coming back from injury, and I asked Ray, "Perfect world with the regular season drifting away here." How many games minimum do you feel like you need to play for everyone to kind of get in sync and get your touches and and just recognize, you know, where certain players are on the ice just through familiarity, and he said a minimum six or seven, hmm. and, I mean, that was impacted again by O'Reilly, but, I mean, there has been zero consistency <laughs> in, in what Sheldon Keefe has, has tried to employ, but I put that back on the players. I mean, the coach is just... He's trying everything. He's pushing every button possible to to get some creativity and some level of consistency out of his group.
0: Well, we'll see what happens if the season ends uh, with a whimper, or if the Leafs have some level of fight in them. Uh, we know we'll be talking about it a lot either way. Uh, okay, let's get to the Western <laughs> breakdown brought to you by Kuma Outdoor Gear. They have a wide range of gear to fit all your outdoor needs: tents, sleeping bags, travel, games, pet products, and drinkware. And they are Super fired up about their new switchback heated chair. I have one. It's awesome. It's the world's first heated chair powered by Bluetooth technology. It's got dual Stop heat bragging. zones. What's up Pierre?
2: Stop bragging.
0: Yeah. You know what, actually? First of all, don't interrupt the sponsor reads, right? Now you're messing <laughs> yeah, with true. the money. <laughs> uh, but actually, Matt from, uh, Matt from Kuma reached out the other day and was like, what do I got to do to get some gear to Pierre? Because he gave me beer nice. I was supposed to send to you. But then you told me you were coming to Edmonton for the first round, so I didn't send it. And then you know changed my your plan plans. Things. Yeah. So now my kids have taken it because it's all these uh, these awesome water bottles. Like I've got her, got her going right. These things are fantastic in the coffee. mug. Mo- so the kids, they, they were patient for like a week or two. But that was it. When they knew that it wasn't, they just stole them. So now all my kids have them and everything. So, but See, he going to be sponsoring. sending you.
2: We just had a whole segment on it. There you go. Yeah,
0: there you go. And he's going to uh, he's going to be sending you some. So I actually passed along your address. You might have a hoodie coming up coming at your way. So uh, you can throw that on That's for the podcast. Exciting. Anyways, uh, Kuma Outdoor Gear, great sponsor here on the podcast. Okay, guys, the Oilers finished the regular season uh, six goals in their final six games. Yet here they are in the playoffs, the playoffs' worst 3.56 goals against among the eight remaining teams. The D has fallen out of this group, Dregs, and they're just bleeding goals. (laughs) And Vegas is pretty dominant five-on-five here. I have to say, I did not see that performance coming the other night.
1: I'm with you, man. I'm with you, uh, especially when you look at the game previous and how commanding the effort was collectively by the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, now you're in a pick'em scenario, right? And mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't have expected that. But, again, a hefty amount of, uh, of, of acknowledgement and uh, respect to the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, this is a deep team as well, and they got healthy when it mattered most coming into the playoffs. I mean, to watch Larry Bresson leave the crease the other night, You know, that is going to be a huge storyline. Not that Aiden Hill isn't a competent goaltender, but that carousel of goaltending has kind of reared its ugly head on a number of fronts. But, you know, defensively speaking, that was, as you know, Ryan, better than all of us, that was – Wasn't it the the primary strength of the Edmonton Oilers for a good chunk from the trade deadline forward? And, yeah, the goals come, and you've got the prowess of Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and the depth of the scoring and and all of that. I mean, but the balance was finally there um, based on the moves that were made. So I was very surprised to to watch uh, the game the other night and how Vegas was able to simply flush the game previous and execute in the fashion that they did. I just didn't think Edmonton would allow it.
2: Yeah, I was shocked too. It, 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 it kind of uh, dampened our mood as, we, as a bunch of hockey writers. We were playing shuffleboard while the, uh, that game was on <laughs> here in South Florida. We, we were staying? not enjoying the shuffleboard. Mark Masters, by the way, uh, a lot of talent on the shuffleboard table. Um, okay, yeah, boy. I didn't see that coming at all. And, and it really, the story, of course, as you know, Ryan, uh, being in the middle of it, there is five on five. And and I was reading Daniel Nugent Bowman's story today about, you know, Cody CC Cody CC struggles and uh, him and Nurse yeah. on the ice, went for three goals, five on five the other night. And, yeah. um, you know, that's got to be fixed. And, uh, can't, I mean, I know it's the greatest power play in a, a, since sliced bread, but, um, win a cup just on the power play you have to play five on five and yeah and i i, I just i didn't it would not have dawned on me to look at this series especially given how well Edmonton played against vegas during the regular season and think that five on five would be that one sided mm. after three games so that that has to be fixed and i think it will i yeah. i'd be super surprised if the oilers don't tie the series tonight
0: 97 and 29 to play them together to play them apart i asked jay woodcroft about it constantly um to the point where he's getting annoyed with us media because he just, you know, he's not going to want to answer no, the no. question. He's
1: just annoyed with you. It's not the media. I saw the soundbite the other day. <laughs> What's some <sound laughs> news breaker? Are you breaking news, Ryan?
0: He was just playing <laughs> around. He was just <laughs> was having some fun. It's good it stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's Listen, all good. it's playoff time, man. And yeah, I like, it. hey, the gloves are off at playoff time. It yeah. is what it is. Correct. So, I guess, you know, these guys playing together versus playing apart when he plays them together, creates this powerful line. But with Hyman, potentially, we'll see what happens, how how healthy yeah. Hyman is and if he can play or not. Yeah. You water down the rest of the lineup when you play them together. And, and part of the issue with that is you got Ryan Nugent Hopkins at no goals. Got yeah. Evander Kane, no points right. since Game Five of the last series. So, yeah. if these guys were contributing the way they were during the regular season, it's a lot easier to throw those two big guys together and say, "Go get it." Yeah. But I wonder if there isn't more thought to splitting them up tonight for that reason, Dregs. Maybe yeah. Maybe Nugent I, Hopkins gets a bump playing with one of those guys and gets out of the funk.
1: I mean, that would make sense to me, right? Unless you're you're forced to chase the game relatively early and then you you load up because you you need that option and you need that superpower. That McDavid and, and Drysaddle can provide, but as we know and reminded every series and every postseason every year, if you're depth players, and it's hard to call Ryan Nugent-Hopkins a depth player. All right. I mean, he was a primary offensive producer. <laughs> Had a great year for the Edmonton Oilers. So you you take that offense out of the equation, and Evander Kane is inconsistent in that category. And you just mentioned Zach Hyman for me. That would be a pretty big hole in their lineup if he's not able to go. And even if he does play, you know he's not even close to being 100%. So if it were me, I'd want to start McDavid and Dreisaitl separate you know, because of their driving ability on different lines. Um, But that has more to do with the support players like Nuge and Evander Kane. If they're going, then maybe it's a a moot point and it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Nuge Hopkins because I was going to go there, Ryan. Um, You know, I think outside of your market, it it, it really went, uh, I I think, underappreciated the kind of year that he had in the regular season. and. and, And I think it allowed Jay Woodcroft a, a, a huge layer of security and protection the way Nugent Hopkins played all year when it came to making that decision with right. the big two. In other words, it didn't matter what decision he made because he knew that he could rely on Nugent Hopkins either way. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: Nugent Hopkins struggling offensively in this series, that's really the pressure point when it comes to, to Dreisettle and McDavid for me because now you don't feel quite as confident about the alternatives. And and it affects your thinking, I think. And so for that reason alone, I would split them up, um, which, you know, in theory should help you alleviate some of the matchups, too, that you're getting from Vegas from either one or the other. Um, but I think, you, I think you have no choice for tonight. I think that's the way to go.
0: 888 save percentage for Stuart Skinner in the playoffs. He was 914 during the regular season. Now, uh, he got pulled in the first round, and Jay Woodcroft went right back to him, and he played really well. I believe they're going to go with Skinner here for this next game, and I think that's the right call, but I do believe there was probably more conversation about it this time than there was last time mm. about going back to Jack Campbell. Either one of you guys think that they should make a change, or do we all agree that Skinner is the play?
1: Uh, he's the play for me, um, you know. And, and that's not to say that you're not going to have to lean on Jack Campbell in some capacity, but I feel like whether you owe it or not to Stu Skinner, I don't think that that matters in the playoffs. It just, to me, yeah, feels right. like he still has the edge.
2: Yeah, I, I think you've made your bed now with, with your yeah. goalie because he, he won the job. This is not the time of year where you reconsider things that took eight months to, to come into play, and to me. Like, you know, you want to bring it back to the lease for a second. It's not even, it's not even a question that Sheldon, Sheldon Keith shot down the notion of, of looking at Matt Murray like within a second yesterday, the speaking bill. Matt Murray lost the opportunity to be back in that, at least yeah. in this round. And I think it's the same thing has happened to me in Edmonton with Jack Campbell, that this is a decision that happened over a number of months that you can't go back on now, in my mm-hmm. opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. If this series is played at even strength... And by the way, it was notable in that last game that the refs had the whistles put away. Uh, it was notable, mm-hmm. and that's fine. If that's the way you're going to call it, you set that standard and you stay with it, and I think they did a decent job staying with that standard through the game. That's bad news for the Oilers, though, if the refs are going yeah. to put the whistles away because it even strength, it hasn't been pretty here. Their power play is insane.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, Dregs, it's not a good look for them if the refs are going to call it the way they did that last game.
1: Yeah, I get that, and and there's no question that there were a number of scenarios there that I'm sure Edmonton, without complaining too much, would say, well, that's a missed call, like that mm-hmm. that that was a penalty in the first round, most definitely was a penalty in the regular season. Yet inexplicably, here we are in round two, and that play isn't getting called. But you can't lose focus and and fixate on that kind of stuff. And you know, I'm sure that McDavid and Drysaitel and the Oilers forwards, uh, the way they play the game. You just have to convince yourself, okay, well, we've got to find another gear. And if we play that hard, what option do you have? I mean, you, you know, McDavid's got speed going through the neutral zone, what do you do? You can't let them gain the blue line without being touched. So you just hope that the officials uh, are going to adhere to a standard, even though maybe they didn't, or that's the way it appeared in certain situations in the last game. Just keep pushing hard and expect that, you're going to get your chances or you're going to generate some penalties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again,
2: if you're going to win a Stanley Cup, you've got to be a five on five team. Like, you know, yeah. Colorado and Tampa Bay, the last three Stanley Cup champions had, had really good power plays, but that wasn't the driver. I mean, yeah. they, they they knew how to play five on five. And that, has, yeah. that part of it has to be more consistent for the Oilers. But the other thing I want to say just quickly on Vegas is, Jack Eichel's performance so far in these playoffs. Like he yeah, gotta,
0: really good. Man,
2: it's got to feel good for him. I mean, a lot of people have attacked this kid, you know, about his character and uh, all kinds of things, you know, that's forcing the trade from Buffalo. Uh, you know, he's having himself a playoff here and good for Jack Eichel.
0: And it's not just offensive. Like Bruce Cassidy was talking the other day, Dregs, about the overall game that he's brought sure. to the postseason. And, you know, he's doing this for the first time. And sometimes offensive players, they get to the postseason, and they're just thinking offense. So that's what I'm paid for. He's actually doing it pretty well on both sides, which to me is, I know he's older, but it's impressive for a guy doing it for the first time.
1: Yeah. And, and look, that, that is uh, the badge of success of Bruce Cassidy too, right? You remember Jimmy Montgomery taking over the Boston Bruins. One of the first things he said when asked about their overall defensive structure in Boston, are you going to change it? And he said, no, why would I change it? I mean, Bruce Cassidy did such a, a good job in, in convincing the players and the Bruins that this is the way you have to play. So if, if you're Jack Eichel in Vegas and you come into that new environment and you've just had this, this kind of a questionable surgery, so you're uncertain about all of that, but then you look around that room and you see Mark Stone and you see Petrangelo and you see all the experience there and the commitment from those guys to play that way, how do you not embrace that? Right. So I think this is a combination of things. This is Jack Eichel maturing both as a man and as a player, but also recognizing that, look, everybody else in this room is bought in. So I can't be the guy that doesn't. So I'm going to change my ways and hopefully it's better for me individually and better for the team. And that's the way it looks now.
2: You know, the, the other thing, too, that I think about when I see Bruce Cassidy's success right now, um, I remember last offseason when all the the coaching carousel was happening and different guys were it up in different places. And I just remember a lot of the criticism from some people that why are we always recycling the same names and why don't teams take chances on younger coaches? So there was criticism that Pete DeBoer landed in Dallas. There was criticism of Cassidy landing within a couple of days from Boston to Vegas. There was criticism for sure about Paul Maurice replacing Andrew Rennett in Florida. And then here we are. Yeah. In the second round of the playoffs. And I think Pete DeBoer <laughs> and Bruce Cassidy and Paul Maurice have, have uh, pretty much uh, proven why they were hired good point. in their respective jobs, right? I mean, it's just Fair an interesting point. thing to remember back on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, guys. Great breakdown. Um, listen, the Quizmaster's been trying to squeeze this red card, yellow card, no card into the podcast for a couple of weeks. So okay. um, I'm relenting today. Uh, No Terry Ryan, Ultimate Arbiter, so you guys are going to get to be the decision makers here, but it's sort of apropos. We're talking about the coaching situation. So I'll read the write-up here. The last time coach of the Stanley Cup champions won the Jack Adams was Torts in 2004. The last five winners of the Jack Adams have not made it past the second round. The voting for the Jack Adams is conducted at the end of the regular season. Voting for the Jim Gregory Executive of the Year is conducted after the second round of the playoffs. Adams voting yeah, should ridiculous. mirror the Gregory voting and be held after the second round. Red card, yellow card, or no card to that idea. Delay the voting on Coach of the Year till after the
1: second round. Uh, I'll start. I'll say no card. I- I'd be fine with that. I'd be yeah. fine with that um, because I can tell you again... Now... In- I guess I could defeat my argument, though, because I'm thinking of Jim Montgomery again. We've got some crazy Bruins fans at TSN, (laughs) right? Absolutely (laughs) off the scale. Uh, And the same guys who thought that Jim Montgomery had a tap-in putt to win coach of the year wanted him fired after game seven (laughs) of, of Florida. So I think that it might encourage some more interesting scenarios if you didn't vote right, at the end of the regular season, waited until the end of at least the second round. So I don't think there should be a card on this.
2: P? Red
1: card. Completely disagree. <laughs>
2: oh. It is the biggest. Oh. I, I have tweeted this. Every year I tweet this when the GM Award nominees are announced. It is an absolute joke that the voting is after the second round. Oh, wait. Let's pick three guys from the final four teams. Good thing we're voting because that's really hard to do. Like, come on! <laughs> Honest to God, well, I, I, well you don't have to insane. pick
1: those four guys. You you can well, stay with your original pick. What are you saying that the, the people who vote on this are incapable of recognizing a season of success? Yeah. Okay. Well, now, obviously, the-, the three nominees are always guys <laughs> who are in the final four. Yeah.
0: yeah. Should that like, be look the at standard the nominees every year? Like, shouldn't come on? I don't know. Shouldn't playoff success kind of count? I mean, the way you piece yeah. together a team, you're not, building, you're not building a team to have the best regular season you, know what? you possibly you know what? can. You, know you build what? They teams have, to win in the playoffs. Have really,
2: they have a really important award that recognizes playoff success. It's called the Stanley Cup.
0: <laughs> yeah, but not every year a general manager executes a pile of moves that in that year clearly yeah. wins in the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, you could have a GM so, that has a great year and his team makes it to the third round and no one expected it. Yeah, Because he built his team for the playoffs. I don't know. I want so, to give the voters so, so, so more credit let's, so let's here at, for being able to.
2: No, it's ridiculous. It should not change the Jack Adams voting. <laughs> and and here's and here's the thing. like, Let's look at Panthers Leafs as a great example of the flaw in the timing of the GM award voting. If the voting was held before the playoffs started, I think Kyle Dillis would have got some votes for how aggressive he was at the trade deadline and all the moves he made. Right, But now if he gets swept by Bill Zito and the Panthers, I guarantee you Bill Zito will get some votes in the Jam Award. And by the way, he made some of the more courageous moves last summer and got criticized for it. Again, Paul Maurice, Matthew Pachuk, all these things. So he should, but my point is, would he have gotten those votes before the playoffs started when they were the 16th team to make the playoffs?
0: Hmm. I like it. Mm. Well listen, we, we fired you up here and I love that, Pierre, but uh we're running out of time. This is like the Oscars. You were being played <laughs> off there with the uh the got your back theme music. So uh we gotta wrap it up, buddy. But uh good job today, guys. Thank you kindly. Uh enjoy the games tonight. Uh and drag G
1: another podcast with Ray coming up here this week uh yes tomorrow and i think shane Knighty, oh very nice with the uh, vegas golden knights is going to stop by and join us so yeah we'll be able to debrief that on thursday all right good stuff look forward to that thanks p uh
0: enjoy the game tonight and we'll chat soon thank you for your downloads and your subscriptions and for paying attention here on got your back it's much appreciated and a big thanks as always to our sponsors our title sponsor cross-country canada supplies and rentals Of course, our good friends at Liberty Smart Security and Kuma Outdoor Gear. The swag is on the way, Pierre. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll chat soon. Cheers.